Well, do we have any baseball fans here today? Raise your hand if you're a baseball fan. Okay, got some baseball fans. Anybody cheer for the Cubs? Any Cubs fans here today? Okay, got a few of you. Can we pause and pray for our deceived brothers and sisters today? (laughs) I'm not a baseball fan per se, but I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan, which explains why I can't stand the Cubs. Well, that and I love Jesus. You can't love Jesus and cheer for the Cubs. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, uh, all the new people are like, does he always talk this way about other sports teams? Only sports teams that God cheers against, like the Cubs and the Patriots, obviously right there, just speaking the truth today. But I'm really digressing here. If you are, if you are a baseball fan, you're probably aware of a very special day that happened this past Monday, July 1st. If you're a sports fan like myself, you might be aware of it as well. On Monday, July 1st, the sports world was a buzz about Bobby Bonilla Day. Anyone heard of Bobby Bonilla Day if you're a sports fan? Uh, you might be thinking, what's so special about July 1st and Bobby Bonilla? Well, on July 1st, the New York Mets paid Bobby Bonilla $1.2 million, which in light of today's salaries does not seem that significant. What's significant is this. Bobby Bonilla has not played a baseball game since 2001. He's not played for the New York Mets since 1999. But in 2000, the Mets offered to buy out Bonilla's $6 million contract. But instead of offering him $6 million, they offered to pay him $1.2 million every July 1st, and that contract extends through 2035 when he will be 72 years old. Now, all of us are thinking one of two things, maybe both of these things. First of all, we're all thinking, how do I get this deal with the place where I work? Can I get a witness up in here, right? None of our staff's thinking that, but everyone else is, because, right? The second thing you might be thinking is this, that sounds an awful lot like a financial decision I've made in my own life, right? Can I get a witness there? Ever been there before? Like what the Mets did is what you call bad debt. Ever had bad debt before in your life? Now, before you get nervous or start regretting the fact that you invited a friend today, I am not talking about money today at all. I'm not talking about giving. I am talking about debt, just not financial debt. The debt I'm talking about today is a debt all of us owe. We are equally indebted to it. It's actually what you would call good debt. The Bible calls it the debt of love. The debt of love. If you're new here, by the way, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. And for everyone who's, who's with us, including anyone joining us on video, uh, thank you so much for choosing to be here. We're in part two of a summer-long sermon series that we have, are, have been calling Glory. And every, every uh, week of the series is kind of founded on, hinges on one verse in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 36. We've been reading it every week and we'll do so again today. It's on the screens and it's this. For everything comes from him, that's God, and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. You know the routine, help me out and say glory. Glory. All glory to him forever, amen. I love this verse, by the way. It's been so good to repeat it every week. The rest of the book of Romans, which is the final five chapters, 
which is what we're talking about walking through this, this whole summer, all five chapters hinge on, stand on that one verse. And we've broken down those five chapters into three different parts. Part one, well, we talked about how the glory of God changes us. If you've missed any of the sermons in the series, I encourage you to get caught up online. Just go to our website, elementchurch.life. You can get caught up on our website there. Part three will start on August 11th. That will close out the series talking about how the glory of God gives us purpose. Part two, we're in the middle of right now, and we're talking about how the glory of God unites us. And when I think of unity, nothing to me is more unifying than love. And according to Romans, love is a debt that we all owe. Romans 13 Verse eight, picking up where we left off from last Sunday, simply says this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. I like how the New International Version says it. I just read from the New Living Translation, which is what we commonly use here. The New International Version words it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, the debt of love. So here's the big idea I wanna focus on today. It's on the screens if you wanna write it down. The debt of love is not something to avoid, it's something to abide in. The debt of love, it's not something we should avoid, it's something we should abide in. Financial debt is different. Financial debt is something we try to avoid or at least try to get out of once we are, are in it. The debt of love, though, is something that we, we seek out. It's something we should live in, especially if you are a Christian, by the way. If you're not a Christian, uh, thanks for being here. I love it that you are here and you are so, so welcome here, uh, whether you believe in Jesus or, or not. But, but you're not required to, to live in this debt of love. But if you are a Christian, I think it's a requirement for you to do this, not only to live in it, but to abide in the debt of love. And I chose the word abide because one of the definitions of abide is this, to continue without fading or being lost. Isn't that a great definition? To continue in love without fading or being lost. So if we have this debt that we're to abide in, I want to try to answer this big question. Why should we abide in the debt of love? Why should we abide the debt of love? Main scripture is Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Uh, we're also going to be looking at a number of different passages today and some different quotes as well. So if you want to follow along on the screens, that's totally fine. Uh, by all means, use your own Bible if you have one. But if you don't even own a Bible, we want to give you one. We believe the Bible is the Word of God. It can change our lives. And so if you don't have one, ask for a Bible at guest services. We'll get you one free of charge. I want to start by going back to the verse we already read. Okay, Let's go back to Romans 13. First part of verse 8 says this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation, your debt, to love one another. Now, yes, okay, the, the scriptures do warn us 
on the dangers of and the trappings of financial debt. And yes, if you have any financial debt, I believe as a Christian, you have a scriptural obligation to, to pay it back. But as much as I would like to talk about and teach on what the Bible says about financial debt and how we as Christians should respond to and approach and treat debt, that is not the heart of the matter here. And that's what I'm trying to get down to. Does that remind anyone of a 1989 song by Don Henley called Heart of the Matter? I'm trying to get down to the heart of the matter. Anybody with me on that? Okay. If you're under 25, go to YouTube, look it up. Your life will forever be changed. Shout out to the children of the 80s. The debt of love is not something we should avoid. It's something we should abide in. So why should we abide in the debt of love? Number one is this. Love is never fulfilled. Love is never fulfilled. Verse eight, which we already read, specifically that word O in verse eight is a transitional word. The whole verse, a transitional thought from verse seven, where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about uh, how Christians should respond in unity to the government and to those in authority in the government. Verse eight then is kind of transitioning this thought from that very same thing. So verse seven actually concluded last week with this on the screens. Give to everyone what you owe them. You see how it connects? Pay your taxes and government fees for those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Then verse eight says, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. So Charles Ellicott, a theologian in his commentary, he says this. The transition of the thought is something of this kind. When you have paid all your other debts, taxes, customs, respect, and whatever else you may owe, there will still be one debt unpaid, the universal debt of love. Love must still remain the root and spring of all your actions. Isn't that an awesome phrase? The root and spring of all your actions should be love. Matthew Poole, another theologian in his commentary, says this, there is only one debt that you must be ever paying, yet ever owing, and that debt is love. The the clear idea here is this, that love is a debt which we will never and can never fully repay. Love is never fulfilled that you can never love so much that your debt of love is paid. You can never love so many people that there isn't someone else to love. That love is a continual debt to be paid to all people. Jesus even said, love your, what? Enemies. Love those who hate you and mistreat you and persecute you. And there are multiple reasons, by the way, why this is so, why we should show love to all people. One of them comes right from a section of scripture in our sermon series from Romans 12, verse five. It says this, we are many parts of one body and we all, what? Belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Not that we all belong to the people that we like the most and who never get on our nerves. (laughs) No, we all belong to each other. 
that I owe you love because I belong to you and you owe me love because you belong to me. That as long as there is another human being on the planet, black, white, or whatever other color of skin there is, rich, poor, or in between, Republican, Democrat, or independent, Christian or non-Christian, we have a debt of love to all people for all people come from God. They exist by his power. They are intended for his glory, all glory forever to him. Amen. Amen. Do you see how Romans 11.36 changes everything? It literally changes everything. So we are to love one another. This is specifically true, by the way, for those of us who are in the Christian faith. But I think it's true for all humanity as well. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 The Apostle Peter says this, another reason why we continually owe this debt. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Has anyone ever sinned against you? Let me me reverse it. Have you ever sinned against someone else? Let the person who you live with answer that question, by the way. (laughs) Like some of you sinned against someone else on your way to church today, glory to God, all right? You've already asked for forgiveness on the way inside the doors. All of us have sinned against someone. Peter's like, listen, guys, we're all going to mess up a lot. So most importantly, show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. So our debt is ever owing because we belong to each other and because love covers a multitude of sins against one another, including my sins against you, even as your pastor. But this one's the kicker for me. Jesus is recorded saying this in John 13, 34 and 35. This is all the reason we need, really. You might ask, why'd you share the other ones? I don't know. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, which by the way is unconditionally. You should love each other. Your love for one another, look at this, will prove to the world that you are my disciples that the hallmark characteristic of Christians is love. One for the other and love for the world. Now listen, we can disagree and still be loving. We can confront one another and still be loving. Loving is not always agreement, but it is always an action caring for the other person. John also says this in his letter, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God, for everything comes from him. Exists by his power, is intended for his glory, all glory forever to him, amen. Do you see how it applies here as well? Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That is the gospel, by the way, that Jesus paid for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, We surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but 
If we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Isn't that awesome? Or in other words, like Jesus said, when we love each other, we actually show the world who God is by showing the world God's kind of love. It proves that we're his disciples. It shows the world the glory of God. And the glory of God unites us. It unites us in love. The debt of love. It's not something we should avoid. It's something we should abide in. And why should we abide in the debt of love? Because love is ever owing. It's never fulfilled. Number two is this. Love always fulfills. Love always fulfills. Now, this sounds contradictory, I know. So let's go back to the scripture, Romans 13, verses 8 and 9. says this. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law, of God's law. Let that sink in just for a moment. And if you love your neighbor, you will actually fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet, you must not cheer for the cubs. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, Love your neighbor as yourself. Does this sound familiar, Christians in the room? Jesus said the exact same thing, by the way, when he was asked about which commandment was the greatest. The the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the ones who eventually had him killed on a cross, they tried trapping him with a question, as they often try to do. They asked him, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Which is very specific because the law of Moses was the first five books of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is the law of Moses. Which is the most important in the law of Moses? Jesus answered, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Many of us are familiar with this passage. You must love the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, which by the way, is a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6 in the law of Moses, and perhaps was the most well-known command to the Jewish people. The gospel of Mark also includes all your strength, which is also quoted in the Deuteronomy 6 passage. So Jesus says the most important is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, A second is equally important. So it's not just under this, it's the same as, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says this, the entire law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the demands of the prophets, so he expands the answer, are based on these two commands. Jesus now is referring to to what we call the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. It was the only testament at the time. It was the Jewish scriptures. There was no New Testament then. So, So just for fun, I researched, for instance, these things. There are 419,687 words used in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament. 
Of those 419,687 Hebrew words, there are 8,679 unique words used. So if you take out the repeaters, unique words. And of those 8,679 unique words, the Jews had 613 commands to follow. And, and, of those 613 commands born from 8,679 unique words flowing from 419,687 total Hebrew words, Jesus summed all of it up with one word, love. Love. This is what drove the Pharisees crazy. The Pharisees were the keepers guardians of the law of God, and Jesus summed up their entire law with one word, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, both Jesus and Paul said, you will fulfill all the requirements of the law, and also, I believe, when you love God and love others, not only does it fulfill the requirements of the law, it also fulfills the longings of your heart. That yes, the, the debt of love, of loving people is a debt that's never fulfilled. But while loving people is never fulfilled, when we do love people, when we abide in that debt of love, it will always lead to our fulfillment. Why? Because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love God, love people. The debt of love is not something to avoid. Is something we should abide in. So why should we abide in the debt of love? Well, love is never fulfilled. It's ever owing. Love always fulfills. That we are actually made to love. It fulfills the requirements of the law, and I believe it fulfills the longings of our heart to simply love one another. The third thing is this, love never fails. Why should we abide in the debt of love? Because love never fails. Romans 13, verse 10, ending our main scripture today, says this. Love does no wrong to others. So love, again, fulfills the requirements of God's law. Love does no wrong to others. Could dwell there for a while, couldn't we? Love never fails. This parallels perfectly with one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. It's commonly called the love chapter. Sadly, it is a, a passage of scripture that is often reserved only for wedding ceremonies or wall art you purchase at Hobby Lobby. <laughs> or it could be a cross stitch that your grandmother hung in her bathroom next to the poem, Footprints in the Sand. <laughs> Which, by the way, Footprints in the Sand is not scripture. Some of you need to know that. <laughs> also, in a weird twist of irony, this 
1 Corinthians 13 passage is often used by many people as ammunition against someone who's mistreating them, which by the way, misses the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 13, one through eight, I think parallels this debt of love concept that we're talking about. The apostle Paul who wrote Romans also wrote 1 Corinthians says this, Listen to the power of this. We're so familiar with this, but don't let this just slip by. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise without love. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith, I could move the mountains but didn't love others, I would actually be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It is not irritable. It is not, I just want to make sure somebody got that today. (laughs) And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will all become useless, but love will last forever. Or in the original Greek language, love never fails. It never fails. On on that phrase, love never fails, Adam Clark, one of my favorite theologians said this, love to God and man can never be dispensed with. It's never fulfilled. It is essential to social and religious life. Without love, no communion can be kept up with God, nor can any man have a preparation for eternal glory whose heart and soul are not permeated with it. Without love, there never was true religion, nor ever can be, it always fulfills religion, and it, love, it is, not, it is not only is necessary through life, but will exist throughout eternity. Love never fails. That in fact, when we are practicing love, we are practicing for heaven. Which means a lot of us should change our practice to prepare for heaven. It will exist throughout eternity. But I will never experience the love of God in eternity until I first experience the love of God on the earth by receiving from him his free gift of salvation by faith in Christ alone. How do I receive that free gift of salvation? First John 4, 9 and 10. We'll go back to it. John says this, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is real love. 
Not that we loved God, not that we even loved each other, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That Jesus, God in the flesh, came as one of us. He modeled life for us, living a sinless and perfect life. He died because of us, paying the price for our sins. He rose victorious, conquering death, hell, and the grave forever, so that any one of us, by faith in him, could be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, power to live our lives for him every day, and one day he will return to take with him forever in heaven those who by faith have followed him. If you're here today, and you have never experienced the love of God by faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It all starts there, starts there. And I wanna give you the opportunity today to put your faith in Christ and start your life of following him. This is not just a get out of hell free card. This is a live life to the fullest card where by faith in Jesus, he changes your life on the earth and he changes your eternity after. It's a complete acknowledgement of Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. If you wanna do that today, I'm gonna challenge you to say this prayer. Just repeat this prayer, I'm gonna pray, just silently in your heart to God. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is God in the flesh, died for my sins and rose again. So Jesus, I give you me. Forgive my sins. Wash me clean and make me new. Live in my heart today. I, I, I am renouncing, I'm turning from my sinful life and by your power, I will do my best to live in your life. And when I fall, Jesus, please pick me back up and clean me up again. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for living in me. From this day forward, by your power, I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you're here today, I never know who, who in the room needs that prayer, but I many times make it available. And I just want you to know if you prayed that prayer, you're among family because I have prayed that prayer in my own life. Dozens of others in this room have as well. And we wanna celebrate with you. The Bible says when one person repents of their sin and turns to God, all of heaven rejoices. So if heaven's rejoicing, I think his church should at least have a chance to do that as well. So if you're here today and you put your faith in Christ, just then for the very first time, would you very boldly but very safely Lift up your hand and say, yep, that's me. I just asked Jesus into my heart. Would anybody say that today? Just lift it up, I wanna see it. Praise God, right there, amen. Anybody else? I don't wanna miss anybody. Praise God, amen. Welcome, welcome to the family, amen. Awesome, yeah, yes. Listen, <laughs> we rejoice because heaven rejoices. I'm proud of you because your Father in heaven's proud of you. And there's no greater decision you'll ever make there's no harder life you'll ever live. So we wanna help you live out that life. 
we wrote for you a devotional called 21. They are free out at guest services. Ask for a 21 day devotional. We'll put one in your hands. If you'd like to, we won't do anything weird, I promise. But we'd love to walk with you through this. Just write on a connection card your name, your information, and check the box that you put your faith in Christ today. We'd love to celebrate that with you as well. So proud of you who made that decision. If you're a believer today, these last two weeks of this series, as we've kicked off talking about how the glory of God unites us, they're challenging. But I was just talking with somebody before service. I truly do believe if there's anything, anything that can help God's church stand out in today's culture, it's in the way we respond to those in authority and the way we are united in our love. That will stand out because those things don't exist in our current climate. They don't exist. So I'm praying that at least for us, in our unique setting, can we unite together in love? Because you belong to me and I belong to you. And we exist together for the glory of God. The glory of God. Let me pray for you. And then just remain seated, remain still for two quick closing announcements. God, you're so good. I thank you that you not only modeled for us a way of love, but you enable us to live that out in our lives. So Jesus, would you live through us, shining out to the world the full expression of your love. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the souls that were won into your kingdom by your power today. Lord, help us live together in unity by our love for you and one for another. We love you, God, and give you praise in Jesus' name.